come. Here we are, fading in. Anthony Smith, Dax Strickland, lead economist at Freight Waves, director of market intelligence. That's what I am. And welcome to Freightonomics, where we combine the freight world and the economic environment. And we have a fresh new sponsor, Anthony That's right. Smith. That's right. Amazon Logistics. We're happy to have them. Amazon Freight. So, you know, thank you again to our sponsor, Amazon Freight. Uh, after years of fine-tuning their technology, working with trusted carrier partners and leveraging infrastructure to optimize their logistics, Amazon Freight is now offering shippers of all sizes the ability to tap into their network to optimize your business. Shipping full truckloads with Amazon Freight means reliable capacity, competitive rates, and instant quotes. If you're looking to ship and ready to haul, visit freight.amazon.com to get started. And again, thank you to Amazon Freight. Welcome to Freightonomics. Welcome. So Welcome. we are still in the midst of what appears to be you know, a full-on natural disaster recovery. Uh, and I'm not talking about Laura. <laughs> and, and the hurricane that hit Louisiana last week, although, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers to everybody affected by that. Um, you know, the COVID-19 world continues to uh, exist and persist in the United States, and the freight market has been quite the example of that, uh, Anthony Smith. Uh, we have had so much disruption, and here on the show today, uh, we're going to be talking to one of your former colleagues. That's right. Uh, in the lumber and wood world. Yeah. Uh, that's going to give us some insight, and again, you know, your, your world is extremely connected to the freight market. Yeah. Uh, construction, uh, you know, if the economy's doing well, you've got wood moving. But, you know, there's some things that I've learned from you and, you know, obviously working here about how the price of lumber can heavily influence, you know, whether or not the housing market does well, boons, construction does well. It basically can shut it down. We were having an economic boom. And the price of lumber just accelerated so high that they stopped building stuff there in uh, 2018 or so. Yeah, so when you're looking at lumber, I mean, there's so many attributes I can go into. Yeah. I mean, when prices go up, that can be a sign of, like, of course, supply and demand. And one of the things that we saw late last year was uh, a, a cutting of some of the supply within the U.S. domestically because there was just such an amount of lumber excess building products and materials on the market. We're looking at so many factories producing right now. And we saw a lot of those, that domestic production shut down. I mean, when we're looking at southern yellow pine, a lot of this is used as a softwood, I believe, that's used for framing and building. That cut down a lot of expectations of decreased demand coming into uh, this COVID situation. That was not the case. And so when we're looking at what happened in the current situation, the demand for homes kind of, it, it remains strong, especially for entry-level yeah. homes. And now what we're seeing is... Inventory is low. Inventory is low. I think uh, new homes inventory yeah. is around a four-month level right now. Yeah. Uh, even market, balanced markets, I think around six months. But we're going to get into some of that with yeah. um, with our, our special guest that's going to be coming up here soon. And um, real quick, I want to remind everyone that we are looking, at, I'm looking at uh, LinkedIn right now. Uh, we're also streaming live right now on uh, Facebook. And so if you want to jump into the conversation, have your voice heard, yeah. um, feel free to make a comment here. We already have Tim Dooner getting active, as <laughs> always. Uh, he says that you are such an alchemist. Um, <laughs> but if you want to jump into the conversation, feel free to comment down below. And, yeah, we'll, we'll get at you. Yeah, so we, let, let's cover some uh, some immediate pressing news first, and then we'll have our guest on, and we'll talk, uh, you know, the lumber market and and, and all the wood uh, problems of the world. But first, you know, we had Laura last week. 
and of course hurricanes huge impact to freight uh, and the supply chain environment uh, fortunately <clears throat> you know for the people you know not necessarily involved with this but it did not have you know it hit an area that wasn't that populated uh, you know relatively not like a Harvey it didn't directly hit Houston it didn't directly hit you know Florida uh, where there's significant infrastructure along the panhandle there um, it did hit unfortunately Lake Charles which is, is still you know reeling from that and probably will be for the you know foreseeable future um, but the damage you know does appear to be isolated to an, a, a place where it's not necessarily you know like I said it could have been worse um, so we're not seeing a strong impact to freight capacity. Uh, we have seen some upticks in tender rejection rates in the Houston area, uh, you know, and certain regional aspects. I mean, the Southeast itself actually had a decent, a slight little uptick in uh, tender rejections over the weekend. Uh, markets like Atlanta were impacted. It's hard to tell or discern at this point how much capacity was impacted by Laura. Uh, you know, the, the, there's like a couple of phases, as we mentioned on last week's show, to the recovery efforts. Um, the first phase is, of course, getting supplies like the basic needs met, food, water, power, uh, to the area that is impacted and is reeling from it that need these supplies really fast. The next phase, of course, is the one where a lot of the money uh, is derived from, and that is from the rebuilding efforts, which again, we're gonna ask uh, your friend here in the next little bit about uh, how these kind of type of uh, you know, systems and you know, events really impact the, uh, the market itself and the commodity flow, of course. Um, you know, the freight market, super tight. Uh, we're still seeing tender rejection rates up around 26%. We jumped over 25% just the other day. Again, we thought it was kind of moderating. We expected this to happen. We got Labor Day weekend. A lot of people taking uh, days off. We do see supply-side contraction around this time, so we don't expect it to loosen here in the next week or so. Uh, this appears to be a pretty extended event. Do, if you're a shipper out there, he, you do not need to expect any kind of sharp loosening anytime soon, uh, regardless of your environment. We're seeing things in the Northwest pick up. Uh, produce season out there, uh, for sure. Uh, potatoes and apples are starting their initial harvest uh, period up there. So we are starting to see a little bit of activity up there. But the majority of that does not really occur until September, October, November, um, traditionally. So it is interesting. That's going to be, if you are a Northwestern shipper and you're relying on some of these rates being low, do not count on that this quarter. <laughs> this, this next half of the year, you're going to have to compete with a lot of other freight moving throughout the country. We're still seeing, and this is our story of the day, uh, a lot of imports coming from China, hitting that West Coast. Greg Miller wrote a fantastic article the other day uh, about you know the trade war. U.S. imports from China are booming. The U.S. trade war is not, what trade war, basically, is what he was saying. Um, and a lot of people, you know, we've, in, we've interacted with are just, you know, myself included in the early days of this, when I was debating Craig on our, at our event uh, back in May, I, it was hard for me to put my head around some of the, the scale and the scope of what was happening. I said the things about how we needed to treat this like a natural disaster, uh, but I didn't understand on what scale. You know, hurricanes, they come into an environment, you see volumes drop, you see capacity you know, disappear as everybody gets out of the way. And then immediately following, you have this super tightening, ex uh, accelerated activity, and it lasts for a little while, and then it, it normalizes. This is that on a 
several month long scale and it's its impacts economically speaking have been uh, you know people are simply like we well, can't have that many unemployed people and this much freight moving and we've said it time and time again yeah you can these people have got it's not a traditional recession where you have this deepening unemployment that's happened over a long period of time people literally just walked out of their jobs a few months ago and then they got a lot of money to do so and they're you know they're still getting a lot of that so consumption hasn't slowed to that extent but then you have this other activity and they point this out in the article the uh you know the ceo uh, Flexport is in this article being quoted as, as saying, like, you know, this seems counterintuitive to what a lot of economic, you know, you know, what traditionally happens in a recession or depression. You normally see this, like, you know, low-end consumption, not a lot of freight movement because there's just not a lot happening, except we're seeing a ton of freight movement. And a lot of that is derived from this adaptation. You know, consumers are adapting. So their purchasing uh, habits are changing from services to some of these goods. They're buying electronics, things that allow them to live in their homes and exist there and work from home. My daughter has to have a Chromebook <laughs> for the virtual learning environment. And Chromebooks, of course, being one of the huge items uh, that are in demand right now that are causing a lot of problems uh, for parents across the country trying to attain one of those so their kids can continue to learn in a safe environment. Um, so all these things coming together. Uh, you know, supply chain disruptions, et, et cetera, have continued to persist. And I think for me, the big question is, is Labor Day the peak? Are we seeing kind of a topping? Because as Greg Miller points out, we're still seeing a ton of imports coming in from China, hitting the West Coast. We still don't have all the products that are, you know, backordered in line. OEMs are still strained. Not that I think that we're going to see. I think things are starting to correct. I think we're, we are starting to get to the top of that hill. Uh, but again, that doesn't mean that it's going to just go away all of a sudden. Uh, you know, volumes continue to be high, uh, and they're probably going to slowly fall down over time as we, uh, you know, cross this border. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think when we're looking at, um, you know, some of the catalysts in a typical recession, they're always sometimes like they've, they're they're not always the same, but they typically rhyme. And so this is something that we haven't quite seen before. And it's very, if you will say, novel. <laughs> and when we're looking at what's going on in the, the economy, these are there are certain types of incentives that are being placed on consumers. And mm -hmm. so when we're looking at stay home, but here's some money, that's going to incentivize them to stay home and spend some money. And so when we're looking at movements of freight, it's no surprise that we're seeing a lot of consumer-led goods or consumer-facing goods that's really being um, transferred throughout the economy, of course, with department stores allegedly being shut down early on. That's also, like you said, translating into a lot of the e-commerce space. And that's, there's been a, a lot of jockeying for warehousing and positioning throughout the, throughout the year thus mm -hmm. far. And I think when we're looking at what's going on in the economy and we're looking at the movement of freight, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be the peak, but I definitely think it's going to be some sustained activity because before you know it, we're already in um, the third quarter. And, mm -hmm. and before you know it, we're going to be in the final leg and we're going to get some pull forward for a holiday season. And I think that's going to be another catalyst potentially when we're looking at consumer activity. Although we don't have that sustained level of unemployment benefits, it show, it, we're seeing that consumers are still, um, we're still, still spending. And so mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of, of what ifs. I mean, we're, we're going to be what ifs on what's going to happen with um, 
any kind of bonus for jobless claims. Right. Um, what's going to happen with uh, any type of activity on the consumer side and unemployment levels? And so when we're looking at all these what ifs, I think we're going to definitely see that there's going to be a lot of potential catalysts. And and right now, I just want to mention that we're are live on uh, on on LinkedIn and Facebook, and we have. Catherine Karks saying that I, I think we have a DOT inspection blitz next week. Oh, we do. We do. I totally forgot about that. It's break yeah. check week. Yeah. Um, that's something that they delayed. And normally, you know, they have, uh, you know, DAT, DOT week or safety week. Road check week is in the first week of June. Uh, and they do a mechanical inspection along with, uh, you know, checking your logs and your compliance records, et cetera. Well, they did that, the log inspection back in July to know. I mean, it really didn't have a notable impact, noticeable impact to the market. Everybody thought that capacity was tightening unseasonably at the middle of July because of road check week, but it just turned out to be another side effect of the environment that we're in with all the supply chain dislocation um, and continued, uh, you know, flow of imports, you know, changing of warehouses. You know, we talk about the LMI. This is another strong data point every single month that. It really helps us paint the picture of what's happening here. When you see inventory capacity, warehousing capacity going down, and transportation capacity going down simultaneously, you do not have to have an end user in that environment. You just need to have somebody. It's literally like playing hot potato with freight. It's like we're just changing hands. We're taking inventory from one space to another. That is where uh, a lot of the disconnection from uh, some of these macroeconomic figures can occur uh, quite readily. Definitely. And uh, Christina Fernandez says, consumer behavior surprises us all. I definitely agree. Um, although, Zach, it's been a while since I mentioned the Consumer Confidence Index. And that oh, has here we hit go with the feelings. A, a low <laughs> as of late. I think, of course, with um, current cases and expiration on, on, on jobless claim that, benefits. It's that darn media keeping everybody down. Watching the media. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the stock market surges. And so um, definitely a, a shock to the overall system. I mean, just kind of getting into some of the other macroeconomic releases we've had. Personal income slightly up on a month-over-month basis in July. Uh, consumer spending still positive in July at 1.9% increase month-over-month. Month. So, But that's also coming down and easing somewhat. Um, consumer sentiment, which is different than consumer confidence. You got to look at them both. Consumer sentiment is going to be put out by University of Michigan that's slightly uh, bumped up in comparison to the consumer confidence. Um, other thing on the manufacturing side, the ISM PMI, that increased uh, 56. to 56. So above 50, a 1.8 percentage point increase month over month. And sustained rise for new orders. So those that, that segment that kind of shows what the downstream effect is going to be within manufacturing, what new orders are coming online, what's going to be produced in the future. Um, so that's also something to keep an eye on um, as the PMI just kind of predicts that there's going to be an increase in manufacturing activity, um, a slight increase for construction spending in July on a month-over-month basis, slightly even with the year-go level, but residential spending, which is going to make up a bulk of that, is up 2% month-over-month and 1% year-over-year. And now, most of these were beats, right? They, they beat expectations for the most part. Some of them part. were. Yeah, some yeah. of them were. Um, I was definitely, um, I, I definitely wasn't too surprised that uh, consumer spending is starting to ease. Um, I, I think definitely the consumers probably should probably hold off a little bit if, <laughs> they, you know, unemployment is where it's at and, you know, they're not getting those increased uh, benefits. But um, definitely surprised with the, the this 
the sustained rise for new orders. New orders, orders man. Yeah. Sixty-seven point six from a sixty-one point five. The manufacturing industrial side really, uh, you know, struggling to recover as fast. Uh, but you know, I, th- I think it's it's time for us to uh, to switch gears a little bit definitely, and uh, definitely. get into the construction and housing world a little definitely. bit. Definitely. And and before we cut to that, I just want to thank again our, our new sponsor. I don't know it's exciting. Uh, we have a new sponsor, Amazon Freight. As you mentioned earlier, after years of fine-tuning their technology, working with trusted carrier partners and leveraging infrastructure to optimize their logistics, Amazon Freight is now offering shippers of all sizes the ability to tap into their network to optimize your business. Shipping full truckloads with Amazon Freight means reliable capacity, compatible, competitive rates, and instant quotes. If you're looking to ship or ready to haul, visit freight.amazon.com to get started. And as you mentioned, we have a special guest who is, we've had back-to-back special guests that are people that are near are and dear to me. <laughs> um, as I mentioned earlier before the show, it's his fault that you're here stuck with me. Um, he, he was the man that initially hired me for my first economist gig. Um, this is Justin Jalbert of Fast Markets. He is a senior economist there. He covers um, wood products. Um, he hasn't always just covered wood products. He's a man of many talents within the forestry industry uh, sector. I mean, we, I think he got his start in pulp. That's where he kind of trained me up under uh, global packaging. And I think he's now covering wood products uh, for North America. Dustin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, uh, it's, it's a pleasure, uh, Zach and Anthony. Uh, it's, it's been a while. Uh, it's nice to speak with you, Anthony, and talk a little bit about uh, sort of the lumber and wood products market here. So, Definitely, yeah. Thanks for joining us. And Dustin, if you will, I, I know I gave a brief overview, but uh, just a quick background intro on yourself. Yeah, sure. So uh, so I've been, again, Dustin Jalbert. Uh, I work at Fast Markets Reese. I've been working here uh, for about 10, go, going on, uh, sorry, eight years now. Um, so as Anthony mentioned, I, I've covered a lot of different sort of aspects of the forest products industry. I, I started out in pulp, worked in paper packaging, and I've been covering uh, sort of the, the lumber side of the market, softwood lumber in North America uh, for, uh, again, about three years now. Uh, so it's been a pretty wild market to cover. So uh, I author our uh, lumber commentary, which is sort of a monthly outlook of, uh, of the lumber markets, as well as our sort of five and 15-year forecasts for, for North American lumber. So do a lot of consulting as well and sort of special client engagements, things like that. So uh, it's been, again, fun market to, to cover these last few years. been pretty volatile, which uh, for, for us is exciting to sort of cover. So Definitely. And that's one of the things you just mentioned, volatile. And that's one of the things that I think was on everyone's mind when we saw lumber prices completely spike, um, I think, just a, about a week ago or so. And so interested in hearing your take on some of the movements and lumber prices um, as of late. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, obviously as probably people have, have seen and has been covered sort of quite a bit in sort of the, in, in the media, uh, it's not a, a commodity that's really sort of covered in depth, but I think it's, it's, it's generated a lot of concern, right? Because it's obviously we have this this you know residential construction rebound that's ongoing and uh, sort of lumber prices you know sort of have soared to record highs here you know we're pr- approaching you know sort of a, a four figure number here close to a thousand per, per per thousand board feet here in terms of the price so uh, you know you know talking two two to three fold increases in the price here in the matter of months um, you know basically what's happened is you know and I, you, you know you guys covered this a little bit sort of in your intro is that. Um, you know, the industry curtailed pretty heavily in April and May when uh, when everyone kind of saw sort of what the impact of COVID would be, 
I think everyone kind of looked back to sort of 2008, 2009, assumed that housing was going to have a sort of a, an equivalent sort of collapse. Obviously, a different circumstance, but um, you know, so obviously, you know, COVID's been incredibly disruptive. So you saw sawmills across North America curtail very heavily for those again, April and May in particular. Uh, you know, April alone, probably about you know 20 to 30 percent of the North American capacity base curtailed. Uh, and that includes, you know, I'm talking when I say North America, basically U.S. and Canada. And as you guys probably know, you know, Canada is a pretty large supplier of softwood lumber as well. Um, and so, you know, so pretty significant curtailment in the market. Uh, as you guys mentioned, demand really didn't drop off. Uh, you saw new construction activity dropped off, you know, somewhat around, you know, 900,000 starts at a seasonally adjusted annual rate in April. But um, a side of the market you don't hear about talked about a lot is sort of the, the repair and the modeling market has been really, really strong. Your DIYers going out and, uh, you know, stuck at home with stimulus money, plus freed up disposable income from, you know, not being able to travel, going out to eat. Kids aren't going to daycare in some cases. Uh, and they're, they're taking that money and they're putting it in their home. So you, you got people building decks, building sheds, putting up fences. And, uh, you know, instead of demand being down 20, 30 percent year over year for those, you know, for those months in May, April and May, you were down maybe five to 10 percent at most. So, you know, what's happened on the pricing side, there's been a massive sort of inventory reduction in distribution channels. Uh, and so, you know, you had you had sort of, you know, distributors and wholesalers trying to get rid of wood, thinking that it was going to be a massive drop. Demand, you know, kind of held up. And, uh, and, and, and is now rebounding pretty strong, as we see with the new construction sort of reports. Uh, and prices, you know, so supply can't catch up with demand now. And I would just add to that, too, you know, th those curtailments have largely sort of subsided that we saw in April and May for, for sawmills in North America. But uh, you still have the impact of COVID that's, that's sort of encumbering production capacity. You have mills dealing with, um, you know, sort of cases of COVID, so they have to sort of uh, you know, sort of put people in quarantine. You have generous unemployment insurance, which in some cases could be preventing sort of an incentive to get, you know, that's that's countering people going back into the sawmill. Um, you know, just general concerns with COVID. And so, you know, your industry capacity is probably not running 100% right now, right as demand has really been surging hard. So, so Dustin, um, you know, real quick, you're saying basically we're missing what has happened is expectation has not co coincided with reality. So a lot of the, I mean, we're seeing this in all sorts of industries across the country uh, and the world. Uh, do you see this, uh, how long do you think that this divergence uh, will exist? I mean, you're saying that capacity is offline and then, you know, it's going to take a while. You and I both know that it takes a while to catch up uh, once they do come back online. How long do you think that this, uh, you know, divergence will exist? Yeah, it's a good, it, you know, it's a great question because, um, you know, I think, you know, what happens, you know, you talk about seasonality, you know, obviously sort of demand for wood and, you know, that comes from sort of new construction, you know, particular residential construction, which is very wood intensive as opposed to sort of non-res, um, you know, so for new construction uh, and, uh, you know, remodeling activity, that should see some slowing seasonally as you head into the fourth quarter, you know, the, the Northeast and the Midwest start to get colder temperatures sort of. Uh, unfavorable kind of weather conditions there. So, you know, we do think that that's going to have to soften the demand side here. Uh, and then on the supply side, you know, you do see sort of cases of COVID while still high, kind, kind of slowing down a bit, uh, you know, starting to get more sort of manageable levels here. Um, you know, so I think as COVID kind of, you know, that the impact is reduced, 
it should allow sort of sawmills and wood products producers to be able to sort of up their production a little bit. But, you know, there's talk about another wave of, of, of uh, you know, potential cases here. Um, you know, if that if that persists, that could continue to sort of restrict the supply side. But we do think, you know, in terms of a, a correction, you know, there's going to have to be some softening, uh, you know, on the pricing side, probably in the next quarter or two here as demand cools seasonally. And one of the things Zach mentioned was the path of Hurricane Laura and how it wasn't exactly as um, destructive as Hurricane Harvey in the past. Even though um, it's not as destructive, do you see Hurricane Laura being any kind of uh, potential headwind to kind of keep prices kind of a little bit higher as demand kind of increases from some of that impact? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a fair question. And it, it you know, hurricane, hurricanes and natural disasters are always sort of very complicated to, to sort of analyze the, the net effect, right? Whether it's a sort of a net reduction in sort of supply or, an, you know, sort of an oversupplied situation. Um, you know, I would say in this case, in the case of Laura, it, it kind of, you know, as mentioned, this isn't a Harvey situation. We didn't, you know, Houston didn't get hit square on. So, you know, I think when you look at, you know, the Houston metro area, that's around 30,000 uh, construction perm permits on a seasonally adjusted basis. That would be a pretty, you know, large area for new construction activity that would have been affected. That was largely missed. Um, you know, so, you know, on the demand side, you, you kind of see a little bit of a surge before the storm, especially for things like plywood, things like that, as people kind of, you know, are boarding up their windows and boarding up shops. Obviously, when the storm hits, you know, construction activity comes to a halt um, just with, for obvious reasons. Uh, and then somewhat of a lag, too, on that if, you know, construction sites are very damp and sort of wet, you know, so that can sort of delay sort of restart of uh, sort of building activity. And then it can kind of pick up afterwards, right, in terms of the rebuilding, you know, sort of repairing homes, things like that. So in terms of what the net demand is, it probably on average washes out, you know, typically. Um, what I would also add is the important thing to think about from a, a distribution standpoint is the supply side. And when I say supply side, I'm talking about, you know, at, at the sawmill and the, the panel mill level, um, not only are, do you have, uh, you know, you sort of production is going to be impacted at these mills because people, you know, not only the direct impact uh, of the storm, uh, but also you have power outages that could be learned in, in places like Louisiana and Arkansas, um, people being displaced, so not being able to get back to the mill. And I would even add, probably most importantly, logging activity could be really significantly impacted as well if the forest stands are very wet, makes it very difficult to access the wood. So sawmills and panel mills may struggle to, you know, be able to get the, the actual logs they need to sort of continue producing at a, a sustained level. So that's the side in terms of the price impact that I would be concerned about right now. Where, uh, where exactly are most, where is most of the wood production in North America uh, centered? Located. Yes. So, so, I mean, the U.S. South, uh, you know, Anthony mentioned it. There's a lot of southern yellow pine. Uh, you know, that that accounts for probably roughly about 20 billion board feet in a, in a 70 billion board foot market from a capacity perspective in North America. So that's kind of the big producing region. But then you have a lot of wood products. And this is just for lumber. I'll speak to lumber as opposed to panels. But um, it varies a little bit with panels. But, you know, for lumber. So, again, you get the U.S. South. And then the Pacific Northwest, uh, both, you know, in the U.S. is a pretty sizable producing region as well. Uh, you got a lot of softwood timber there. Uh, B.C., British Columbia in the U.S. Uh, is also a major producing region, uh, sort of the high cost producer. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of volume from these regions, eastern Canada as well. 
Um, so, you know, but again, the U.S. South is really a big chunk of that. Dustin, thank you so much. I mean, time flies wow, when we have good guests like this. <laughs> and um, I, just real quick, before we close, where can people find more of you? What are some of the, the reports that you might be working on right now? And, and how can people get in touch? Yeah, no, thanks, Anthony. So, uh, you know, if you want to check out more of our content, whether you're interested in some of our sort of market outlooks from a forecasting perspective, you know, just check out fastmarkets.com. Uh, you know, you can look at sort of uh, sort of our, our wood products sort of section there. We've uh, got lots of analysis that folks listening will probably be interested in. Uh, I'd add as well, we do have our, our North American conference this year, uh, which covers forest products in general, including sort of wood products. So if you're interested in wood products, pulp and paper, uh, that's obviously going virtual. Uh, that's October 5th through 7th. So if folks are interested in that as well, check out our website and uh, uh, we'd love to have you. So. Fantastic. Awesome. Dustin, thanks so much. We appreciate having you. Man. Great, yeah, guys. We want thanks him back on. <laughs> hey, you need to come back on. <laughs> Promise. My I'm pleasure. Holding... My pleasure. <laughs> I'm holding you to it. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's Freightonomics. Thank you again for watching. Thank you to Dustin again. And thank you to Amazon Freight for sponsoring the best podcast in, uh, you know, in Freight Waves. Yeah. In my opinion. I mean. Sorry, Dooner. You, yeah, I was going to say, you don't want that smoke from Dooner. You don't want that smoke from Dooner, but yeah. I'm going to hear about that a good one. one. Another good one. It's all downstream. It's all built. Down. All down the country.